Welcome to Illuminate Faith. My name is Dave Exley. On the pod today, Doug and I are joined by Pam Rocker. Pam is an award-winning writer, spoken word poet, and speaker. Her extensive resume includes work with the United Church of Canada, serving recently as the Affirmed Minister for Hillhurst United Church out in Calgary. She serves also on the board of the Observer magazine and is a past president of Affirm United, the national organization working for the full inclusion of all people within the United Church and society. Uh, and recently, Pam was voted as one of Calgary, Ontario's top 40 under 40, and we can see why. In our conversation, we talk about queer activism, the difference between welcoming and affirming, and we even talk about pie for a little bit uh, too. So enjoy this episode recorded at London Conference Youth Forum this past weekend. Welcome to the Illuminate Faith Podcast. My name is Dave Exley. And I'm Doug Peck. And we are here live at Youth Forum once again at Pierce Williams United Church Center with some great people here. Welcome, Youth Forum. We're, we're glad to be here the third year in a row, and, and uh, we've got a special guest here, and Doug's going to uh, tell us who that is. Yes, our special guest is Pam Rocker. We're very excited. Uh, she's she's the theme speaker here at Youth Forum. Uh, on her Twitter handle, um, it, it says about her that she's a writer, activist, and super gay. And, and Pam, uh, welcome to Illuminate Faith. I, I'd like to first just ask you, um, uh, just first thank you for, for being on our show, and, and just secondly, just talk about uh, the importance of queer activism in today's world, and in, in today's church world. Yeah, that's a big question. Um, thanks for mentioning that I'm super gay. I always like that, <laughs> especially because people can't see my hair, which says it all. I good. wish and right now me, that yeah. we were a video yeah. podcast, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, activism and faith. I was actually just talking to uh, somebody about this the other day saying um, how actually like Jesus was the original activist. Right. And I think often when we hear the word activism these days, we sort of, you know, picture people sort of on both extremes who are maybe unreasonable or asking for things that that they actually don't need or, you know, really loud people that only care about their own interests. When actually, I think really activism based in faith that I think is rooted in faith is about what Jesus would probably do, which is making sure that people who are on the margins um, uh, get everything that sort of people in the center get, right? Mm -hmm. And Jesus didn't sort of say, okay, I'm, you know, hey, people on the margins, I care about you. Like Jesus did his work on the margins in order to erase them. And so when it comes to the intersection of activism and the queer community and faith, I was saying this in one of the talks earlier, is that you can't really have a conversation about LGBTQ issues without talking about faith, because unfortunately, it's a number something like 80 to 90 percent of discrimination is religiously based, right, when it comes to the queer community. That is horrible mm -hmm. <laughs> and really sad. And so... Um, you know, for me, it's really important to talk about these intersections because they're actually not intersections. They're just together. And what can we do to liberate people to let them know that all parts of themselves are OK? And also people who feel uncomfortable with that. That's not how they grew up. Um, they have a hard time wrapping their mind around it. How do we invite people along to say it's actually not scary? This is all part of the diversity and the beauty of how God created us to be. It's so powerful to hear you articulate this because so often, and, and I've even 
thought this myself in a, in my younger years. So often as a minister in a mainline denomination, you hear people say, you know, why why would you be interested in faith when when faith has been so harmful to the LGBT community? And and it's not an easy question to answer. And and uh, you're you're giving me a lot of resources to mm-hmm. uh, to answer that. But erase the margins. That's that's powerful. Mm-hmm. And I think you know I think that too of myself. I think about uh, you know a couple of years ago when the massacre at Orlando happened mm-hmm. and you know those 49 individuals were murdered in in the gay nightclub in uh, Orlando and i remember you know looking at twitter and sort of seeing like all of these negative messages from people who said they were people of faith mm-hmm. you know saying really damaging things about you know i can't even repeat them mm-hmm. <laughs> and it you know in that moment it sort of reminded me of uh, why people would feel like they can't be involved because all of these sort of religious politicians and religious leaders were saying, well, at least there's less now, less of them now, or, you know, those things. And I actually had a, a crisis of faith in that moment. And I wrote one of my friends who's a minister and I was like, I don't know if I can have my name and then a comma and then the name of a church after it anymore. I don't know if I can. Um, and, you know, she, she wrote me back and she was like, you know, maybe you're right. But maybe it's up to sort of this motley crew of people that really believes in the message of Jesus um, and what we're doing and that those people don't define what that is for us and and they can't take it away. And actually, maybe that means that we are invited to be louder about who we are and what we believe. And so I understand when sort of, you know, people personally or even organizationally wonder why these things maybe can't seem to go together. But I, I think to myself, you know, it is all parts of me. And anytime I've tried to sort of restrict one part, the other part suffers. And, you know, I finally have decided, actually, you can't take it away from me. I'm just going to do it. And um, I'm going to be super gay and I'm going to love Jesus. I'm going to do all of those things. And hopefully, you know, living in that, um, as people have gone before me, have, have inspired me to do that, I can hopefully do that for some other folks as well. You said some wonderful things in there, and, and, and I'm curious to know a little bit more about uh, your story that I think you've been sharing with folks mm-hmm. here at, uh, at Youth Forum, because I, I'm sure there are people that are curious that would, would ask that, that question, what is it that, you know, what is your story and what keeps you in the, in the church? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, I'm mindful of the fact that uh, many people within this world, particularly those that, uh, that don't um, attend church, that, uh, you know, are not practicing uh, Christians or, or don't practice any particular religion that their mind, you know, when we ask them, how would you define Christians? Uh, there was a study done in the United States and uh, the response, you know, when they asked people about uh, Christians, you know, how would you define them? Uh, the three markers were um, they're selfish, uh, they are hypocritical, and they're anti-LGBT. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious about your story and 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 why why stay in the church. I think we all have kind of our own story, yeah. but in particular how it it relates to uh, you know that those particular issues. I, I'm curious about uh, what keeps you in the church. What is your your story? Yeah, um, I I have been a person who was all three of those things. 
Um, I'm sure I waver in and out of selfishness all the time. So that one I've check mark. Um, no one in this room can <laughs> relate at all. Right? Um, <laughs> You know, it's interesting. I was telling, you know, the youth here a little bit more about my story this morning as I actually went to missionary school. And um, I at the beginning of my life, I'd actually devoted lots and lots of my time to figuring out what faith was and and figuring out how do I get people to think what I think. Right. Um, Because that's what my parents had told me. and That's what my church told me. And then eventually when I moved to Canada, I, I actually worked at the biggest evangelical church in Canada. And um, so I went from, you know, sort of being in the mission field to being in this really big church with its own waterfall inside of it and its own cafe and its own everything and satellite things everywhere. And that wasn't a United Church? No, it wasn't. I know. Wow. Surprising. <laughs> Surprisingly. Um, and, you know, so in lots of different ways, I was trying to sort of express my faith and sort of figure out what that meant for me. Um, and I often tell people that a huge gift to me um, is being gay because I don't know where I would be. I don't know what I would think if that isn't, wasn't part of who I am because uh, it was really easy for me at the time to not really feel a lot of empathy for people who I had been taught were on the other side. I remember even one time I try to talk about the shitty stuff that, I, that I've done, too, because, yeah, let's talk about great things. But also be honest about some other things, too, because I remember one of my friends who was like 19, um, you know, got married. We all got married really young um, in that group. And, um, you know, her husband ended up leaving her on Christmas Eve um, after they'd been married only for a couple of months. And I remember talking to her um, and I was, you know, maybe 18 at the time and, you know, basically saying that. I was disappointed that she was thinking about getting a divorce, right? Because that was the messages I had. And so I was taught all these rules, and some of them were really moral and really good, but I was not really taught about empathy. I was taught about charity, but not about empathy and not about, okay, what if I was in that situation? What would that mean? And maybe it's not just pray and everything is going to work out. Or if it's not working out, you haven't prayed enough or there's something wrong with your spiritual life. And so for me, um, having you know my sexuality be non-normative in that circle was something that made me face, the in, in my world at the time, the extreme other side. Um, because it wasn't just getting divorced or, you know, doing like any, like, please, you know, my parents would be like, name anything else and do it and we'll be fine with it. <laughs> Um, but it was the other extreme. And so I really had to face if I really want to continue to believe this way, then I'm going to be on the other side with all those people I've already have already said they're on the other side. And once I started to wrap my head around that, I thought, why am I working so hard for there to be sides? You know, why, why is that important? And why is so much of my faith built on fear? And when we're afraid, we can't really think, right? And when we're afraid, we're really open to what people, other people tell us to do, powerful figures. And you see that working out in all different ways in the States right now. When we're afraid, we do things that probably aren't congruent with what we really want and who we really are. And so I'm really thankful for that. Not that I feel like, um, you know, I, I am gay because I had to go through that, but I'm thankful for it in that way because it taught me a lot of things that I don't know 
how I would have gotten there otherwise, or it might have taken me a lot longer um, because I'm a really stubborn person. So it took me a long time anyway. <laughs> um, and now I feel a lot of passion and also a lot of grace for people who um, I know are 15 years um, into their journey or 25 years into their journey and maybe haven't had enough of those invitations to say maybe there's a different way to think about faith. And so for me, you know, I really think, you know, maybe that's one of the reasons why I want to be so public and why I want to not just say gay, but super gay, you know, <laughs> to really claim that piece of myself that I was told wasn't okay. And I think also for me to continue to sort of live into all pieces of who I am, because we're often told we're too much of something, mm -hmm. right? We're often told too much of whatever it is, um, when actually that's probably the thing that is our gift to, to bring to the world. And so instead of sort of, shh, you know, don't do that, don't say that, that's too much, it's too loud, you know, um, how do we sort of foster and nurture that? And and I wanted to maybe now answer your question, uh, which is, um, <laughs> so why still for me, I would say that why faith is still a big, a big piece of what I do. Um, it's not about the church at all, you know. Um, I think the church should be God's gathering agent for us, for sure. It, it can be, and some are. Um, but I think faith reminds me of who I am. It doesn't tell me who to be. It reminds me of who I am. So when I'm in spaces where I'm thinking about sort of my spiritual life or I'm thinking about these different things, I, I always, you know, I often joke around, but I'm actually probably not kidding that, you know, during any sort of silent meditation, during any sort of a service is like the only time I'm thinking about that I'm breathing. Like the only time. So when there's like, hear us in our silent meditation, I'm like, oh, I'm a human, you know? I, I need breath. Oh, oh, I'm connected to my body. Oh, okay. And in those like little moments that I take time for and all of the busyness of life and all the busyness of doing faith or whatever that means, um, it reminds me to be connected and it reminds me, oh, you know what? Maybe I'm doing this thing that isn't the best. Oh, you know what? Maybe I'm listening to this other voice that isn't the thing that I should be listening to. And so it's not based on shame at all, but it's a reminder. And, and it makes me think of, you know, there, there's this idea. Um, I remember this one really eccentric professor told me this, the difference between uh, teaching and educating. So like the root word of teach is like to put on, put on us, right? The root word of education, uh, educate is to draw out mm. and so drawing out means we know that other people already have these things inside of them and so I think good religion and good faith believes and trusts and sees the value in each person and our role is not to put on all of this stuff but to draw out what's already there already inside us because we have all we need how do we draw out, draw that out in order to be the best people um, and the best people of faith that we can be. And that's what religion does for me. Let your light shine. Yeah. Like, be mm -hmm. super about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's something that I think we should have on it. Like every, every church door, you know, that, that idea, that difference between educating, teaching yeah. and, and, uh, yeah, because so often we're, we're all about as the church, we're about putting on. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, Hey, you dummies don't know this. You better come and learn. Right. Is, yep. is sort of the messages that we get instead of, Maybe we can have this conversation together. Maybe there's an aspect of it that you that you weren't, uh, no light was shed on for you, right? Mm -hmm. And when I know that as soon as I hear somebody talking like, oh, you don't know, I shut off. 
as soon as I hear somebody saying like, oh, here's my story, here's my vulnerability, here's something that I've learned that that maybe you will relate with, I'm there, I'm with them, right? And I think uh, good religion models that for us. On that note, a, a question I wanted to ask, which I think is something that is uh, central to this whole conversation, particularly for United Church folk as, as things move forward with churches uh, voting to become affirming communities of mm-hmm. faith, uh, participating in that uh, that whole um, uh, initiative, if you want to call it uh, that, and, and other denominations as well moving down that path, there's always that conversation about welcoming versus affirming. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if you might talk about that a little bit, because every church yeah. seems to have the all are welcome. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, so I, I wonder about the affirm piece. Why affirm? Why not welcome? What's the difference between those, those yeah. two? I was telling somebody the story the other day of I was meeting with this church and they were they were asking me because I get a lot of people want to meet with me and they ask, like, how do we get gay people to come here? (laughs) And I'm like, why do you want them to come? And also, why do you assume they're not there? Hmm. Right. And so I was having this conversation with like this big church's marketing person and it wasn't an affirming church and they didn't really have any process to become affirming. And they're like, how do we get gay people here? And I said, well, why? And they said, well, you know, we're we're totally affirming. I know that we're not designated, but we're so affirming. We're so welcoming. And I said, well, tell me more about why. And they said, well, we have a lesbian here. And I was like, well, I just saw a lesbian in Safeway, but it's not an affirming Safeway, you know, like. <laughs> and so, you know, I think often we think about this idea that like, if there are people who are different among us, we must be affirming, right? Um, but another example is, is uh, there was a woman who I talked to who was in a church in, in Ontario, actually. And I went there and I was speaking on their affirming Sunday when they were, you know, they'd already voted to become affirming and they were having their celebration. And uh, afterwards, we were having lunch with the affirming committee and I was talking to her. And she said she'd been going to this church for 12 years. And it wasn't until they started having the conversations around affirming two years ago that she started to think, oh, this is interesting. I wonder what kind of community this might be. And then she was on the affirming committee. She was helping out. And then they voted yes. And it wasn't until that day that she told people she was gay. So she was in this community, loved this community for 12 years. People were like, hey, we should hook you up with my cousin Scott. You know, she's like, no, thanks, you know, and all these things. And I was thinking how tragic it was that she was so worried Um, And this was last year. It wasn't a long time ago. She was so worried about how she would be treated. She couldn't bear the thought of losing this community. And so she stuck it out. And and think about that. Think about the conversations that she was a part of. And it wasn't until they made that choice and she sort of saw, oh, okay, I'll be okay here um, until she she divulged who she was. And that broke my heart. to think about her being in that community and how how scared she must have been and how happy she would be now. And, you know, to go back to the welcoming versus affirming thing, you know, welcoming is really, I would say, like, um, it comes from a position of power, right? Like, we welcome you, we, we, you are you, and we are we, and you are allowed to come and be in our space, right? Whereas affirming is, um, if you tell us who you are, we'll believe you and we'll affirm you. We don't have any stake in that. I don't get to decide what your name is or, or who you are. I don't get to decide that because I think a certain thing. Um, and so affirming is really 
Um, if you choose to be vulnerable and say who you are, or even you don't even say anything, but you're just in an Among Us, you are you and that is beautiful. And I think, you know, a couple of the things that I think of when it comes to affirming is um, I love pie. You know, don't we all, right? Um, That's why I became a minister. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Especially United Church. Yeah. Tell you what. So much egg salad. What kind? It's, it's what amazing. kind? I need to know what kind what of pie. What kind of pie? Yeah. Um, you know what? I really like um, sour cherry. It's good. Oh, good yeah. choice. Yeah. Raspberry. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. good too. Yeah. Doug. Let's talk about this more. <laughs> <laughs> I've just never, ne I, I don't discriminate against pie. All pie is beautiful. Oh, you're affirming. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Good answer. So pie. Sorry. Yeah. We, yeah. So I think of the acronym pie. So when I was on the, the board of Affirm United, we thought, what is a, what is like a simple way to talk about what affirming is? Cause it's such a huge conversation. Right. And so we thought, okay, hmm, pie. And so the P stands for public right? Are you public about who you are, right? I'll go on so many churches' websites um, when they want me to come in and talk with them and I'll, and I'll look on the website and be like, is there anything on here that would make me know what you believe? And not just like we believe in Jesus or we believe, but like who, you know, can I be there if I'm gay? Can I, can I get married there? You know, what, are, what about those things? I, I usually can't ever tell. So public, and do you talk about it from the pulpit? Is it just like, oh, we have this cool statement that is like buried beneath our mission statement in the annual report from 2011, you know? Um, or is it something that is public and, and you're not ashamed of and do you model that? The I is intentional, so what is happening in your community that you really say, okay, we're intentionally doing this talk. So for example, right now, um, it's really important that we start having conversations about pronouns, right? About how people identify and about sort of recognizing our own, you know, and, and I'll say for me too, like our own arrogance of like, I think this person looks like this. And so therefore, therefore they're a man or a woman, right? And I get to decide that. Oh, you're telling me that? Well, that's not, not what I think. No, that's not affirming, right? And so are we intentional about how culture shifts, how language evolves, and how, you know, people are becoming maybe more um, confident or, or more courageous or we're creating more space for people to say who they really are. And so are we intentional about how to create communities that let those things happen and how we can grow? And the E is explicit. So whenever I talk about affirming stuff, I say, do you just say, hey, everyone's everyone's welcome here, like no problem. Well, if I'm somebody looking for a faith community, everyone does not cut it for me because believe me, churches who are not welcoming, once you get into them, are very explicit about who's not welcome. So I will not come into any church. I won't, I'm not going to risk um, my own safety when I probably as a person, a queer person have, have already been hurt multiple times or even, you know, reading tweets about Orlando from religious leaders. Um, I want to know that I'm explicitly welcome and I want to know that I'm going to be affirmed by the theology that's happening in that church. And it doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect because none of us are. Um, but what is, so that's what I think of is, you know, whether we're going through the process right now or we're discerning it or we've been affirming for 10 years, how are we expressing public, intentional, and explicit affirming in our community? And that comes, you know, that that's for lots and lots of different um, areas of, of people who are usually left out of this conversation. And the last thing that I think of is, you know, that same thing is that a lot of people talk about LGBTQ people as like, well, they should come here and they do this and they do that. They need to come to church, they, 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 you know. 
And I'm like, okay, I understand how you're trying to talk about it. But actually, like, we are the church, too, hmm. you know? And likely, just in that story of that woman who had been there for 12 years, we're already there. Sorry. You know, <laughs> we are already among you. We have infiltrated. And, you know, um, and for... And sometimes that's really painful for people because they're not out, you know. And can I tell you another story? I, mm, I get excited please. about this. I, ha I haven't let you talk at all, but um, <laughs> we don't like to. This hear is about you talking. Okay. <laughs> um, last year I was at this other church and and talking about this thing, and I was actually did a sermon on the movie Carol, right? Um, and uh, afterwards I was talking to this older couple, and this was a church where people had been, you know, people were like, I started coming here when it started in like 1960. Like these are people who are like committed to be at this church. And so there were these two couples who both told me like independently and within 10 minutes of each other, they'd been friends with these other couples for 25 years, 25 years. And it wasn't until that day after we had this conversation that they told each other that they had children who were gay. Right. And so they might have looked around their their congregation and thought, oh, no one looks gay here. You know, like, why do we need to become affirming? Probably no gay people want to come here <laughs> um, without thinking, like, who are we impacting here? And it was the United Church. Right. And uh, and so they were afraid of, OK, if we say this, how will people think? How will they treat my daughter when we have family dinners? You know, in the meantime, their daughter was married to a woman. Right. And so they had to like weave all of these weird stories about her life um, and, and, and they had to come out, right? And so we never, ever know who's among us, you know, and Jesus talks about that, like the stranger, right? Hmm. And um, the least of these, we don't know who's among us, right? And so if we're only doing it when it's like, oh, it's youth day, we need to be nice to youth or it's whatever, you know, we there's all sorts of people among us and we don't know because probably those people haven't disclosed things that might be difficult for them and so um we may think that we're doing affirming for other people but we're actually doing it for us you mentioned somebody that rings a bell jesus yeah and 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 the bible i mm -hmm. thought that it, it to be affirming you'd have to sort of Toss that aside, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because, of course, those people that are tweeting about Orlando are telling us right. that, right? Yeah. But I guess what do we do with that? That uh, I mean, Doug, on, on our way over here, we were talking about this, and Doug was you know, talking, well, maybe you can share your story of being in seminary and, and a surprising thing that you noted yeah. about that. I, I, I grew up a good United Church boy, which means I didn't get much Bible education. And uh, <laughs> I, I stole that My joke. intention. I, yes. I stole that joke from Judith Newman at, at Emmanuel College. Um, um, but, uh, um, but, but, I, but I found going to, to a United Church seminary, the people that were reintroducing um, uh, Jesus into my life were, were, were the gay population there mm -hmm. that, that were coming from other denominations that had a love of Christ, a love of Jesus, um, but, but had become unwelcome. Yeah. Uh, in their own denominations. And, and so th there was almost this sense of evangelism uh, to the United Church from the affirming yeah. community that was becoming so strong at the time. And, and um, just sort of a secret gift I found of that community, that, that, uh, that a secret blessing that they've bestowed upon the church is, is reminding us about Jesus. Mm -hmm. Well, that's really beautiful. 
Um, I like it that you were evangelized by queers. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to add that to my business card. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, you know, I think when I think about it in sort of a macro sense about the Bible and, and all of the arguments that have been used, <clears throat> excuse me, um, against queer people over the years, oh, I get so sad. Um, uh, because I remember being younger and like reading every single thing that I could ever find about what the Bible really says about whatever, right? Everyone's trying to find out really, no, really, what the, does the Bible really say? You know, um, when they're really saying like, how can I get you to still, you know, not do that? Um, uh, and there's a lot of great books that, that really affirm uh, queer people and all those things. And I guess, you know, when I have like a little sound bite to talk about it, because we could talk about it, you know, all day long, the seven, you know, texts of terror that they call them, or sometimes it's nine when they include two other bonus ones. Um, <laughs> That's always fun. Yeah, thank <laughs> the you. The bonus but, ones. <laughs> um, uh, is that when you look at the Bible as a whole document, there's so much, so many things in there um, that really liberate us. And there's so many things in there that really alienate us. And not just gay people, but women, to start with. Um, uh, people who are single. Um, people who don't have a lot of agency in the world. And so if we were going to go in and look at all of the verses that really alienate lots of pieces of who we are, we can do that if that's what we want to do. Or we can say, what stories what truth is in here that really liberate us and other people that aren't motivated out of fear or power or control or as i like to call a lot of evangelical churches like genital theology we need to control everything you do with your genitals and need to know who's or who's and where they go and what's happening um <laughs> if we sort of step away from that and think about how do we how do we think about how we're liberated to be um you know fully uh you know, live lives as Jesus would, then a lot of those things fall away, right? Um, there's a lot of great books. There's a book called God and the Gay Christian by Matthew Vines. That's really good. Um, there's a new book that just came out um, by Austin Hartke that talks about transgender people in the Bible and how gender expression is really beautiful um, in all these different ways. And so there's a lot more writing sort of being being thrown out there, people who are way better biblical scholars than me, to say like, you know, it's actually really, really simple, and I did it for a big part of my life, to find scriptures that alienate other people. And, you know, there's a great quote from uh, this documentary uh, called For the Bible Tells Me So that says, you know, a fifth grade understanding of the Bible is dangerous even for a fifth grader. Hmm. You know, it's a, it's a weapon, right? And it's really easy to point to things and say like, oh, see, you know, you didn't do this thing, right? It's way harder when we have to flip that on ourselves and even like judge not lest you be judged. Oh, well, that throws out a lot of things that I want to say, right? Um, so I think really, you know, thinking really critically and analytically and historically, especially about any verses that would separate us from other people and that would cause these lines to be drawn of I'm on this side and you're on that side and I have these biblical points and you don't. Um, because all of those things, you know, when I, when I read different, you know, think about the passage in Leviticus where they're like, oh, you know, instead of having sex with these angels uh, that are, I guess, men, why don't you rape my virgin daughters instead? And that's the godly thing to do. Uh, what? Right? 
So if we're going to use a verse against a whole group of people, we better figure out what that means. And we better figure out what are we actually saying with this? And is this only to continue to separate and have power over people? Or is it to liberate all of us to be our full selves? Because that's really, you know, uh, that that's why I think queer people love Jesus so much, right? Because that's really the example that we can get behind because it's not as mired in these other sort of, you know, I would say, oh, I was going to say a bad word. I don't know if I can, but, <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> um, you know, like I, I just call it like biblical masturbation, you know, where we're like, I like to talk about these things in the Bible that, that alien other people for me, it's only for you, right? It's not about freeing anyone else um, or about bringing joy or life or fullness to anybody else. And so I think, um, you know, when people sort of have the conversation with me about, well, what about the Bible? I say, okay, let's have that conversation. But I'll end this this section with a story, which is I talked to a mom um, uh, of a, a gay son. And, you know, we talked for three hours and she kept trying to, you know, poke holes in everything that I shared. And um, which is fine. I could understand she was she was afraid in a lot of ways. Right. And I see a lot of myself in, in those folks. Right. Because I had to go through that own process. And at the end of the conversation, I said, you know what? You may never agree with me. You may never feel like you can ever get on the side of where your son is coming from to agree or you may think you need to agree or not agree or whatever that means for you. But in the meantime, I just ask you to think about what does love look like? What does love look like in the meantime? Because the only thing that's going to happen if you continue sort of down this road is you're going to create more and more distance between you and your son. So you can think about how to wrap your mind around it theologically or explain it to your pastor or all of these different things. You can spend that time doing that. Maybe you need to. But in the meantime, what does love look like? And I think that that's the story of Jesus. What does love look like in this situation for me outside of the stories that we've been told about people, the stories we believe about ourselves? Hmm. Reminds me of uh, just reading a little bit of Richard Rohr. He, he'll d uh, differentiate between um, dualistic thinking, which is helpful for some things like science and learning how to put a rocket on the moon and, and finding good mathematics, but, but can never explain to you unconditional love, mm -hmm. infinity, grace, yeah. uh, and, and then, but then going into non-dualistic thinking, what love looks like, uh, what God's unconditional love looks like. Um, uh, and, and, and it's, if you try to apply dualistic thinking too much to a faith story and, and your, your, your faith context, it, it fails you in so many ways, but, mm -hmm. but non-dualistic thinking, the thinking that comes from prayer and, and what love looks like. It's, it's beautiful to hear you say that kind of flip their thinking, yeah. right? That it's, it's not going to go anywhere if they keep trying to apply this yeah. other mode of thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. You mentioned within there when we were talking about pie, I didn't get fully distracted okay. by the thinking about pie, uh, but uh, a, a new topic of conversation as, as we ponder what it means to be affirming, what it means to, um, to travel with people and, and to allow them to speak to us and, and to identify who they are, uh, their identity and how we listen within that conversation. And of course, um, certainly sexuality has been a long standing conversation uh, and, and I 
I feel like we've made a lot of progress when it comes to uh, the, the, uh, things around trans and, and uh, folks that uh, may identify as, as someone who has been born in a particular as a particular gender who uh, identify as the other. But uh, gender obviously is a, is a deeper conversation that I think many of our you know, people of faith uh, struggle to wrap their minds around as we discover that there are people that uh, that don't fit into that male female gender binary mm-hmm. uh, I was sharing with you we've got a, an event happening at our church in a few weeks time about the Bible and the gender binary and so I, I wonder how you might you've mentioned a book there and talking about uh, gender and uh, um, where where is that headed because I'm mindful that I th- I have a feeling that our many of our churches are not equipped to welcome and affirm uh, folks that that represent more of the gender spectrum Mm -hmm. there. And so how do we get from where we are now to a better place, which is a large question there. But maybe you can talk about your observations of of, uh, the welcome maybe that you've seen related to that. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, yeah, talk about that maybe. Yeah, I'm so glad you're having that conversation. That makes me so happy Um, because I think, you know, so often like... I think homophobia is rooted in gender phobia, right? So when when we think, you know, sometimes when we think that we don't agree with gay people, we actually just don't agree with gender performance that we don't think fits, right? So we think a man sort of does these things and expresses himself this way, and this is what a man is, and, and a man is is supposed to be with a woman, and a woman is supposed to do this and this and this. And then when we see uh, a man with another man or we think, oh, well, that's not what I've been told. And they're both expressing it. And who's who's the wife and who's this and who's Mm -hmm. that? Um, Somebody forwarded me this horrible video from YouTube about this woman giving premarital advice. And she was saying how, you know, before you get married, you have to you have to remember that the husband is the leader or the marriage will fail. And I was like, oh, well. And so I turned to my partner like, I guess it's failed already or maybe we're just going to succeed because we're just going to have to both figure out how to like lead together or something weird like that. Anyway, um, but so a lot of it, a lot of sort of our phobias sometimes are just rooted in gender itself. And so I think talking about gender is really, really important. And I think the thing that is is sort of, I think sometimes people say, okay, yeah, 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 we're affirming, great, gay people, check, we, we got our mind around that, you know, we see two men or two women, okay, no problem. Now, we love to categorize, and so when we see somebody or somebody says, actually, I don't identify as either, I identify as all, or I identify as, you know, whatever that means, um, we think, oh, that's, that feels scary, Right because we can't categorize it. And, and then we think, okay, well, I have a certain way that I interact with women, a certain way I interact with men. So what do I do? I don't know, right? I have a certain way I treat people based on these things. And we all do, you know, it's, I'm not saying I'm immune to that. Absolutely, we all sort of adjust and shift, you know, depending on how we sort of read people. And so there's a lot of fear and a lot of those things. And I think we also think that it's, we might think that it's a new idea or that you know, people are sort of thinking of new things in order to stump us, right? Um, instead of, you know, really realizing that shifting energies and different sort of expressions uh, have been around forever, right? And, you know, I was sharing with the group earlier that um, there's a person I know who is Hindu and they they identify as genderqueer, um, which means they sort of identify as, as all genders. And it wasn't until they were in a religious studies class when they were like 20 where they learned that there was gender fluidity in Hinduism because it had been hidden from them and sort of stripped out as it has been from a lot of religion and a lot of sacred texts 
about different ways of expressing the same thing with the two-spirit community um, and indigenous uh, culture. And so there's all these different beautiful expressions of gender and what that means that at some points have been revered and some points have been feared. And uh, I think the key is to knowing that it's, it's always been a part of who we are. Um, the product of it being villainized is a lot about colonialization and a lot about us sort of really wanting to categorize so that we can control people because how can we control something that we don't know, right? Um, so I think um, it's a really complex conversation that I will say I'm still trying to do a lot of learning around because I, I haven't had to do that work or that explaining or that making for space for myself uh, because I was assigned female, identify as female, that feels comfortable for me. So in a lot of ways, I have a lot of privilege when I have these conversations because I don't have to sort of make a space for myself. A small thing that I think makes a big difference um, when churches are having these conversations, uh, two really easy things is one is whenever you have an event, have name tags, right? Um, and on those name tags, have on the actual name tag printed out pronouns um, because that is a sign uh, and a symbol and more and more I think more people will, will begin to do this that we recognize that maybe just because you have facial hair and you have short hair and you're wearing you know a vest and you know brown shoes or whatever well I might think oh you're a guy well maybe that's not how you feel right maybe that's not how you identify and so if you have that little marker I can say oh okay you identify as they and so, so this would be like preferred pronouns <clears throat> is what you would have there. Yeah, and, and I would usually not say preferred. Um, oh, okay. Just because, I mean, that was around for a long time, and now there's sort of a little evolution to say, okay, well, it's maybe it's more than just a preference. It's just sort of this is how I identify. Mm. And so you would just say pronoun, and then you can sort of write. And it's just, I don't know, I think it's a really humbling experience for me too because I don't go around the world thinking I have to think about every single person I see and wonder how they express themselves. However... You know, I sort of describe it like I don't know your name unless you tell me and trying to sort of let myself know, oh, I also don't know what is honoring to you in terms of your gender expression unless you tell me. Right. And so um, I've tried to sort of start doing that in any group that I run, not just affirming groups where I know there's I know there's going to be queer people, but any group because we don't know the same thing as before. Right. Um, and it's just a little signal, a little symbol to say, like, we want to honor how what how you want to be addressed and and even if we don't totally have our mind around all of these things because it's always going to be growing um and another thing is to make sure that you have washrooms that um which i realize you do here which is great um that are all gender so um usually it will be maybe a single stall washroom and i know there's lots of I'm sure there's no old uh, dying buildings in the United Church, are there? None, but, none. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and, and I've been a part of many churches who, you know, we're going through that process of, you know, it, it, it costs money. You know, you have to sort of, you know, think around those things. And there's lot, lots of material to talk about how we talk even about washrooms. But I know at one of the churches I worked at years ago, we, we you know, basically made two single stall washrooms, all gender. And we put changing uh, tables in both of them because usually there's only changing tables in women's washrooms because that's obviously women's work somehow. Um, <laughs> uh, and, um, you know, to really just be like, okay, we want people to be comfortable. Um, and, you know, and I had, I had a friend of mine who isn't a churchgoer come in and, and, um, and she's a trans person. And she said, like, 
when she heard in the announcements that there were, oh, hey, there's all gender washrooms if you want to use that, like she cried mm. because she may not conform to what all of us might think as a female and then has to make a decision every time she goes into a public space. Uh, where is the one that she might be most safe in, right? I don't necessarily think about that. Although in the drive through at Starbucks, somebody called me sir. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, can I get my uh, 30 cents from my wage gap for that? Anyway. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I think that those, like, those little things in our physical spaces and the events that we run are, are sort of a start. And that's, you know, obviously the theological and, like, the conversations you're going to have. I, I'm really curious, actually, as to what that's going to be like. Um, but it's those little things that, you know, we might think, like, oh, neat, whatever. It's an all-gender washroom. That's fine. But if we don't have to live with that anxiety, then we're not going to burst into tears when somebody has thought about us. It, no. It's something that I, I don't think people think about very often, and, and it, the, the the crying and and the the other story, uh, Pam, that you mentioned about about twelve years then coming out, right? The the stress people are under, the yeah. the hurt, the tears, the the little things that have made people walk away uh, just devastated. And um, yeah. can can I I just want to say one thing in, in all these stories, I keep I, the word salvation keeps popping up in my mind because. You know, I, I think we're living in a day and age where, where, and I hate saying the word the liberal church, but I'm going to say it. But, but you know, I, I think many in the liberal liberal church are, are wondering what does it mean to to say Jesus saves. But I keep hearing these stories of salvation that mm -hmm. you know to to have a a, um, a genderless bathroom saved someone. Mm -hmm. That that and 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 hearing you say that Jesus is there is there for the margins that yeah. that, that this is about saving people uh, and people are expressing stories of salvation um uh um and i think i think too uh, these stories of salvation become everyone saving right that that you know uh, from a personal angle somebody that largely identifies as heterosexual male but but never really totally felt like I fit into that mold growing up, right? There's somebody who loves hockey more and, or maybe I don't love hockey at all. And mm -hmm. not that it's bad to love hockey, right? But there's these images that we place on what it is to be male, what it is to be heterosexual, what it is to yeah. be, um, and, and, and to grow up needing to question all people when they grow up need to question and to have a safe environment for all to do that is just so crucial. And, yeah. and, and, uh, it's, it's the LGBTQ community doing that for everyone to bring that saving grace. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well said. I'm reminded of um, throughout the season of Lent at uh, our church, we were reading Brian McLaren's uh, book, We Make the Road by Walking. Mm -hmm. And there's this beautiful uh, quote of his that talks about faith. And as we ponder what love looks like, this journey that we're on, uh, I, I just think it's beautiful. He says, uh, faith was never intended to be a destination, a status, a holding tank, or a warehouse. Instead, it was to be a road, a path, a way out of old and destructive patterns into new and creative ones, always being extended into the future. To be a living tradition, a living way, it must forever open itself forward and forever remain unfinished. Mm. And as I think about this conversation we've had, as we ponder what love looks like, I think it's it's that 
openness to say, I'm, we're not done yet as, as the church. Yeah. Uh, and, and how do we open ourselves up to one another so that we can walk down that road and honor one another? I want to thank you for spending time with us and talking to us about uh, what love looks like, uh, encouraging us to, to go further. And, and as we think about what love looks like, we've got, I've just got a little parting gift and, and it may not be exactly what love looks like, but maybe, um, so we've got uh, we've got a dancing with Jesus bobbling figurine to, to pass to on to you, my, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and I just I feel like this is what love looks like because and I'll just read the back here and then I'll pass it on to you. So are, it says, "Are you cursed with two left feet? Uh, consider this kit, your revelation included is a three-inch dancing Jesus figurine, an illustrated mini book with a collection of dance moves inspired by the words and deeds of the original Lord of the Dance." <laughs> Kit includes a, an illustrated conga line backup to display with your figurine. So oh I feel gosh. like you need, need to. You've helped us dance in a new way, and uh, and since you dropped Jesus, I do Jesus's think it's name, funny that Jesus is white, and this is this dancing Jesus sorry. is white. <laughs> but that's okay. I love this. I love, and I love anything that that is honestly playful about faith too. Because often we were so serious, but I love this. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for being with us. Let's thank Pam. <laughs> Have fun at Youth Forum. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Illuminate Faith. Once again, we want to thank Pam Rocker for sharing some wisdom with us and inviting us to to ask that deep question of faith. What does love look like? If you want to find out more about Pam, you can go on her website, pamrocker.com. But we wish her all the best in in all that she is doing to to shine a light uh, within the church and within the wider community. Uh, If you haven't already subscribed to our podcast, you can find us on Spotify and in the iTunes music store. Be sure to hit the subscribe button there and ensure that new episodes are pushed out to you uh, when they become available. You can also go on illuminatefaith.com and find past episodes and listen to uh, the audio there. Uh, Wherever you are on the journey of faith, we give thanks uh, for taking some time and uh, being with us uh, this week. 